Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number, what is this, 518 of Linux in the Hamshack. And this is The Weekender, the 108th edition of The Weekender, if I'm doing my math correctly, and I'm probably not, but that's neither here nor there. Luckily, I have an Etherpad to keep my head on straight. But let's go ahead and get into The Weekender, where we talk about hedonism. Well, we'll do a random topic first, which could be hedonism, could be open source, could be Linux, could be whatever. We'll talk about that for a little bit, 10 to 15 minutes, which always seems to run longer, and then we'll get back into the hedonism that is what The Weekender is all about we talk about food and booze and all the things that make life worth living. So let's get back into it. Um, Russ, K5TUX, W5MOO is once again not with us, but we also have... Bill, NE4RD. Good evening. All right. So the two of us once again, I don't know how long it's been since we've just been the two of us, but it's it's been a minute, so... <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we'll uh, put the kibosh on that arrangement here before too long and get back to the way things used to be. But we do have a show to do, so let's go ahead and do it. And I've got the random picker wheel queued up with the very few topics that we have left. I think I've had a couple of suggestions in the last time. I haven't had a chance to add them, so they will be included for the next weekender. But let's go ahead and do this one and see. Hopefully it's not like a super deep divey topic. But <laughs> we've, we've had a couple of uh, we've had a couple of weekendery type topics over the past couple of episodes, which has been good, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah maybe maybe we need to some techie stuff but i guess the wheel shall decide so here we go <laughs> it's another worst of <laughs> uh, which may be interesting so the last time we did a worst of it was the worst thing about linux and this time it's the worst thing about amateur radio oh, oh that's interesting so, you know, obviously these topics are supposed to be sort of off the cuff and, you know, kind of interesting because we're going down a, a rabbit hole that we wouldn't normally go about because we don't talk about the bad side of stuff, right? So I guess this time we're going to talk about the bad stuff. And I don't know how we want to do this. Do we want to do like, let's say two, two things, the worst thing about amateur radio and uh, just, just go with that so we don't run like super long. And of course, yeah, we can take that chat from the from the chat room uh, people i'm sure have suggestions about what they think the worst thing in amateur radio is so we'll definitely bring those up as well and uh since i've been doing most of the talking so far i'll let you come up with the first you knew it was going to happen so so uh, you always put me down first <laughs> I always put you down first because i always do the intro if you want to intro the show sometime then you know i'll, I'll do the first thing so oh well let's let's just let's just break that uh that uh Number one thing that's the worst thing about amateur radio is it's um, 
<laughs> Luckily, I have the truncate silence. Uh, yeah, plugin. yeah, we'll need that truncate silence for sure. <laughs> so this will all be very seamless in the final edit, so don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll have to decide like it's either something I hate or that's generally bad about amateur radio. And uh, I, I kind of want to say uh, the worst part and best part are almost the same. Um, yeah, do I want to say that? No, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Let's say the worst part about amateur radio as a hobby is its diversity numbers. Or lack thereof. Is that what we're going for? Yes. It's not a very diverse group. And uh, I think we all need to spend some time recruiting you know, people in our diverse groups that I know everybody has and get them involved in the hobby. You know, that includes, you know, females, ethnicities, everything under the gamut to include everyone. Uh, you know, the last thing I, I hate doing is doing an event and, you know, I'm looking at a bunch of old white men. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I have to play the Cuban card, you know, every time I go to man. Well, I'm Cuban, you know, I'm, I'm half Cuban, so <laughs> even though I don't sound it, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm an ethnic uh, person. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's tragic that it's not quite as diverse as it should be but i'm really happy to see a lot of these uh uh interest groups and stuff like that kind of popping up uh you know a lot of i see a lot of youth uh nets popping up and advertising out there in social media um you know yl nets popping up and 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 such um it would just be nice to see a lot more and especially when it comes to doing larger events where you volunteer uh to do stuff would be great to see more different faces. Um, think about all the uh, YouTubers that are out there in the amateur radio space. There's something quite similar about most of them. Um, it would be, uh, yeah, it would be nice to really see a, a diverseness to the hobby uh, shown not only in the visible side of the, the hobby, but also the leadership side of the hobby. You know, the ARRL, um, all the big uh, groups that help fund amateur radio projects and everything else. Uh, diversity, diversity, and, you know, slash inclusion. Uh, people should feel welcome to be in that diverse group as well. So there you go. There's, a, there's the big one for me. And I totally agree. I, I tend to feel like that mirrors society in general. Um, obviously, especially in the United States, I mean, we come from a white male centric, you know, background and I definitely feel like that contributes to that. And of course, in the early days of technology, only, you know, only white men basically were, were into technology and that's where that's coming from. Um, I do like the fact that it's, it, we're trying very hard to be much more inclusive and not, not inclusive, like trying to force the issue, but inclusive and like trying to make it attractive to everyone coming up. Do you, I know when you're at Jamboree, you see, you know, youths uh, getting involved in the hobby, but do you think that actually translates into, you know, activity in the hobby after things like the Jamboree? I mean, I wish that would be an excellent, an excellent goal. But like our goal is not to get licensed amateurs in that project. I mean, we have done that in the past and made that part of our mission there to get licensed amateurs. And we always have a testing session where we do tend to license some individuals, but we don't focus on that as part of part of our goals. And I think uh, maybe the next time I think we're going to try to have that as a kind of a key part and run multiple classes and multiple testing sessions 
uh, throughout the event, try to do like the one day crash course uh, for tech you know, technician licenses and stuff like that, and then pick up anybody extra that wants to do it. Uh, but the group of scouts themselves are quite diverse. Um, I mean, if you just look at the social media pictures that I took <laughs> up on our K2BSA uh, thingy, I think I put them all on Facebook. So that's where you'll find them all. Uh, you know, it is a very diverse group and it's not like I had to cherry pick them out. It was uh, every, every group of kids was just, just a mix of kids. Uh, they weren't even, uh, you know, except for the females tended to group with other females, uh, tend, you know, you, you always saw like a good mix of, uh, of, uh, you know, nationalities, ethnicities, sexes, uh, genders, and and everything else, uh, all all within those groups. But I look at my staff and I say, yeah, I didn't do that very well. You know, I I had I had a fe- one female on the staff, <laughs> uh, and the rest, yeah, yeah, would probably most of them would qualify as uh, uh, old white men. Uh, our average age of uh, the staff was fifty nine years old. If that tells you anything for just the K two BSA, so uh, yeah, yeah, it would it would be nice. It would be nice to see a lot of interested folks at various ages and stages of their life uh, within the hobby. And I know they're out there. They might not all be available to be visible to me uh, in my very niche environment of the hobby, but I think that would be something that the hobby could improve on. All right. Very good. I, I have my, my thing is kind of, I, I would say tangential to that. I hope it's not the same thing. I don't think it's the same thing, <laughs> but it does have to do with diversity, but it has to do with diversity in the sense that clubs and organizations that are amateur radio related tend to be, I would say split pretty much 50, 50 down the, we want to be helpful Elmer's inclusive, bring you into the hobby, embrace you, show you how things are done, foster your you know involvement in the hobby. And the others are the old white man clubs <laughs> um, that, you know, they don't like new members. They don't like, it's kind of like a 21 pilot song, you know, newcomers have a certain smell <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we, we don't want you, you heathens in our club. So, um, and I, I think that is a huge detriment. I mean, I think I think it's pretty equally balanced, though. I think there's just as many uh, clubs and organizations that want to foster, you know, interest in the hobby and promote the hobby as don't. Unfortunately, you know, the the negative side of that coin always seems to be a little more vocal than the other side. I mean, I feel like overall, like I got lucky. The club that I joined first in the hobby was very welcoming and very, you know, I I am still a member of that club today. And even though I live nowhere near where the club is, um, but they're very welcoming. They're they're very uh, Elmering. Uh, they enjoy the hobby and they want everybody else to enjoy it too. But I've there's a couple of clubs around here. I will definitely not say those clubs <laughs> names or call signs, but they feel very nichey and clicky and. Uh, I've gone to a couple of events that they've done, and you just if you if you walk in and they don't know who you are, they really just don't care about the fact that you're there, and uh, that's really disappointing. So I find that one of the huge negatives of the hobby. I mean, the hobby itself, I love it, but the, the sort of uh, humanity and politics, I guess, that surround the hobby uh, seem to be less than ideal. 
Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I was, you know, successful, successful as well, having that very first club that really had a good impact on me. But like even within the club, there was like little groups, you know, little cliques within the club, like you would probably have in any club. Um, but in general, the club itself was uh, was pretty good at, uh, you know, having a, a, a program schedule that was good for everybody to try to get involved. And then, you know, after meeting events and everything else, you know, contesting, contesting and camping, uh, a little bit of everything that uh, that people were involved in, you know, including getting your gear hooked up. You know, let's all learn how to use packet. Let's all learn how to use Winlink. Let's all do this. And, you know, let's do Aries. Let's do races. Um but yeah, some clubs settle in on maybe like one or two things and they don't represent a lot of the hobby. And it might be just a geographical issue because I think like those clubs exist everywhere. Like just like you said, you have some clubs that are, you know, very welcoming and very open and they're there more of an, as a kind of a build you up and, and, and educate you and move you on to the next level. Maybe it's a transitional club, you know, it's basically you come in there as a newer, new, new person. Once you find what you like in the hobby, the niche, then you maybe move on to a different club that uh, satisfies that itch for that part of the hobby that you want to spend all your extra time on. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So, what do you what do you have down for your second bad thing about amateur radio? The bad actors, <laughs> <laughs> lids. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just not necessarily poor operators. People that are operating uh, just basically to uh, damage uh, the hobby in many ways, whether that be you know malicious interference, uh, just malicious behavior uh yeah uh the bad actors and you know they exist in clubs and maybe they're the poison pill in some of the clubs they exist on the bands and make people's experience bad uh, especially in portions of the band where newbies are and stuff like that um yeah yeah we could do could do better with a few less lids and you know these are the same people that are running you know 2500 watts at home and control their frequency because they have their net every morning and uh they just want to control the frequency all day even if they're not even producing traffic uh those kind of folks uh, that are kind of off-putting to other amateurs where you know we're trying to share all of the bands not just your frequency um yeah bad actors yeah, I think the number of times I've heard lately of people just stepping all over people, not, you know, not asking QRL, you know, not not checking, just kind of firing up on whatever their favorite frequency is, regardless of what else is going on. And um, <clears throat> yeah, that's it's not cool. I mean, it's literally in the in the description of the hobby in the rules. It says, you know, literally, this is not how you operate. It's it's the opposite of that. It's supposed to be, you know, there's a whole radio spectrum out there. You don't have to have this exact spot on the dial. You can go, you know, QSY plus or minus five or whatever it is required to to get it. It's not like the people in your net won't find you and so on. So yeah, I definitely. I definitely get what you're saying, although I guess I've been included in that category. I've, yeah, I've, you've been on someone's lid list, right? <laughs> I am on someone's lid list. Yes, a published one, in fact. <laughs> so I are lid. <laughs> <laughs> Here right now, K5TUX coming at you live. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome as a license plate, IR lid. That would be IR lid, yeah. 
Uh, Don says that we have a running, we have been running a net here for X years and you need to move, even though I was doing whatever for more than a few minutes is very infuriating. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think there's some, some gentlemanness going on in the, in the sense, you know, for, for like the really, really long standing nets, I think everybody's sort of figured out that they're going to be in X place at X time and they don't necessarily pop up there. Um, I mean, you can kind of be a jerk <laughs> by, by legit by legitimately starting a conversation one minute before a net starts that you know has been there for fifty years. I mean, technically, that's not the way you should operate. I mean, technically, you you can do that. There's no reason why you can't. I mean, because if they're not operating yet, the frequency is open. But you know, again, you don't have to jump in and and be the bad guy in that situation too. You can go five up or five down or whatever, and <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so I guess there's a fine line there, but yeah, the rules say if the frequency is available, if the frequency is not in use, then it's yours to use. Um, but you know, in in every once in a while, you, you sort of understand that something's been going on forever, and because there is a whole wide spectrum out there, you don't necessarily have to walk on top of that. Let's see if anybody <laughs> agrees with that or not. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, normally if you have a long running net, you know, even if it's long running not everybody's aware of the published nets and stuff like that nor do they care to look at them but you know i know whenever i was doing a net you kind of you got to kind of warm up the frequency before the net anyway so uh, it's it's really on the onus of the uh, net net control stations to kind of start a little bit of activity early uh so the frequency is is kind of quote unquote held for the net <laughs> uh, right. that's a that's a great practice for for net new net control operators that are doing like hf nets is definitely uh, get on there 30 minutes early start warming up the frequency you know publicize the fact that you're going to be having a net and then work some uh, work some contacts and just kind of keep the uh, keep the frequency active until the net starts and uh, that that's the best practice it's not not the best practice to kind of control the frequency <laughs> for an half hour before and not do it not do anything except for just tell people to move off your frequency hey this is my frequency i have a net in 25 minutes right. um, so yeah so what's your good, second one huh and all the good net ops do that they they prime the frequency so they know stuff is going on i mean i mean they've been doing it so long they, they've got that figured out uh steve says it's all in how they ask too if someone says hey oh man we've got a net coming up would you mind going up five no issues with that but if they're a jerk about it that's when it bothers you so yeah absolutely when you flip on the amp and say sick you sick you <laughs> okay i'm, I'm gonna put a uh, special mention uh honorable mention to tuning up on net frequency <laughs> Tuning up on any calling frequency. Tuning up on any calling frequency or any in-use frequency. Like you want to get on the net that's operating on 7250 and you tune up on that frequency. Yes. We we don't need to go into that. That's honorable mention. So <laughs> it goes um, in the same line there. <laughs> right. My second one is let's see, how do I phrase this? The idea that amateur radio is dying, a dying art. The I think I think this is in a lot of publications. It's out there a lot. People say that, you know, we've got cell phones. We've got lots of different ways to communicate. What do we need amateur radio for? And, of course, we always come back with things like emergency communications and stuff like that. But, obviously, as time goes on, there's less and less of a need for even the uh, emergency communications part of amateur radio. However, I think what people fail to understand is that amateur radio, regardless of what you're doing with it, is still a hobby. I mean, you know, stamp collecting is a hobby too, and it may be largely useless 
in the digital age, but it's still a thing to do. It's a thing to participate in. Um, you know, like uh, AC4FS, one of our listeners, he's he's working parts on the air like to beat the band <laughs> and uh um so so it's a thing to do it's a hobby it's a thing to participate in it's a thing that breeds camaraderie and socialization and stuff like like that and that doesn't have any expiration date so maybe it's not going to be useful for emergency communications in the future because you know something else will take its place however it's still a thing to do sometimes it's uh it can be a challenging thing like because you want to operate moon bounce or something Something like that, or you want to contact somebody via satellite, or you want to contact a thousand parks in a year, uh, whatever it is that you're doing, it, it's a hobby just like any other. And in that respect, it's never a thing that is that is dying or going away. There's always interest. There's always something to do. The radio's you know frequency spectrum is a really interesting place. There's a million uh, disciplines that you can attack in amateur radio. And I just hate the idea that everybody says it's a dying art, don't participate, it's going away, you know, whatever. Because I think there's a part of it that is not subject to that. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's so important to, uh, you know, especially in like, you know, the STEM areas uh, that people seem to think are so critical in the the youths and stuff like that to get involved in these STEM STEM hobbies and uh, this is such a, a very interesting one to do it. It's a very interactive hobby. It's not one that, uh, you know, that you're just sitting down, maybe just soldering something or just tinkering with something. Something, Although you can. Um, it does give you that capability to have a socialization aspect of it. Yeah, I, I, know, I don't know. It, it, this kind of this falls into the same line as like, you know, oh, we can't get young people in the hobby. The hobby's going to die. But somehow we keep getting people into the hobby and the hobby has not died. Uh, there's still millions of amateurs out there uh, operating the bands at all ages. Um, maybe we just don't recognize the ones that are up and coming as much um, beyond the 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 few the few uh, awards for for young people and stuff like that in the hobby. Um, I was just having a conversation just the other day about the young people and you know their work ethic and blah blah blah, and I'm like, yeah, but. When we were young, weren't we also blamed that our worth ethic was not very well, not very good, <laughs> that we were just lazy and wanted to sit around and drink and smoke and everything else like that. Um, but somehow we're those cranky old people now, and we're now complaining about the generations behind us. And I think it sort of falls in the same line in the hobby. You know, we get to a certain point in the hobby and we're like, ah, oh, you know, it's like, it's going to die. There's no young people involved. And it's like, well, there actually are a lot of young people involved, but maybe uh, your aspect of the hobby or your use of the hobby is is no longer within that, uh, that demographics uh, interest within the scope of what we're doing in the hobby because the hobby has expanded so much, you know, well into the, the maker space and everything else. Um, you know, I, I even, you know, remember when people well they still do that but when when people used to get you know licenses just for doing rc stuff uh you know those that segment of the hobby never even got on the radio to talk but yet that existed for quite some time and you know i think that still exists to this day um so yeah i think there's just there's definitely like as we get into the hobby and we settle into what we like and what we have a niche for uh we sort of put on blinders with and we don't really see a lot so I think that has a lot to uh, lot to do with that as well. I don't really have anything else to add, and I think uh, I think everybody in the chat room is on board because I'm not seeing a lot of discussion in there. So 
I guess we're going to slide on into some hedonism. Sounds like a good thing to do. Might as well. And we start off hedonism with food because, you know, we all got to eat, right? Unfortunately, Cheryl's not here, but she did provide us with a cocktail recipe and a recipe to discuss tonight. And this is a... She says I don't like soup, but I I do like soup to a certain extent. The only problem is, and she's going to kill me for saying this later, but... You just don't like her soups. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love her soups. I love her soups. All of them, pretty much, when she makes them. The problem is she makes soup not for her and me. She makes soup for her, me, and 35 other people. <laughs> you know, I enjoy my soup. She enjoys her soup. And then we have soup forever. <laughs> and that's what I don't like. Uh, the soups are fine. So I just don't like, you know, two weeks of leftovers. So let's go ahead and talk about this particular soup, which is chicken enchilada soup. I think this is a riff taken on the chicken enchilada soup that comes from uh, Chili's. Mm. I don't know if it's like a you know a lookalike type recipe or if she made her own, but it's for chicken enchilada soup. She says she's a huge fan of soup. Me, not so much, which I just explained. It's not the case. I love the soup. Uh, this is one of her favorite soups, so she's sharing it with everyone today. The ingredients include two teaspoons of ground cumin, two teaspoons of garlic powder, a teaspoon of chili powder, a teaspoon of paprika, quarter teaspoon of salt, a pound of boneless chicken breasts, boneless skinless chicken breasts, two tablespoons of olive oil, a half large white diced onion, a four ounce can of green chilies, a cup of red enchilada sauce, six cups of chicken broth, a half cup of masa harina, more if you need it, four ounces of cream cheese softened and cut into cubes, and two cups of shredded cheddar and there's a whole long thing about how to make this which i'm not going to go over the recipes are of course all published in the show notes so if you would like to put this together there are a lot of instructions however if you want to go through the effort of making this chicken enchilada soup it is very very good and like all soups of course it's more of a cold weather thing at least it is for me and i think for her and probably for most people um but yeah, it's very good. She makes some really good soup. She makes a, a riff on the Zippa Toscana that's at Olive Garden. She makes a nice uh, potato soup, you know, potato bacon type soup. Mm-hmm. Um, her gnocchi soup is really good too. It's it's all good. It's all good. So just too much of it. Just too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Steve says, hope Cheryl is okay. We miss her. Yes, she's doing fine. The The problem is uh, we haven't found a way to get her back onto the show, but I've got to dig around in some boxes and find some other stuff. So I'm going to see if I can find her Yeti mic because uh, I, I can set up her Yeti mic on her laptop and then get her back on, on the uh, – it's basically just trying to find the Yeti mic. So if, if I can do that, we'll get her back on, hopefully by the next show. Uh, Steve also says, I love soup, but my wife insists on making it in the middle of the summer when it's too hot to eat soup. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I'll eat soup in the summertime, you know, especially if it's a really good soup. Yeah. But, me too. Uh, yeah I, I definitely feel like it's more of a cold weather thing. You just feel like it more. Yeah. Don says, when we make lasagna, which Cheryl made the other night, and we have a ton of it left. However, I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with lasagna leftovers, <laughs> but I think we're going to have to freeze a bunch of it. Uh, yeah, I normally freeze it half a day, makes for easy dinner weeks later. Yeah, absolutely. We're going we're gonna to have to go down that road. It was funny. We, uh, we took a slice each of the lasagna out of the pan last night and had it for dinner. And today, you know, and then afterwards I put the pan because uh, it was a covered uh, glass dish, put that in the refrigerator. And when I took that out of the refrigerator, the lasagna had actually refilled the space of the lasagna we took out. So it's like we didn't eat any of it. 
<laughs> it oozed. Yeah. <laughs> so I had I had a whole lasagna again today. <laughs> so, uh, that was awesome. And Ted says, but cool weather coming and gumbo time soon. Absolutely. All right. So that's the chicken enchilada soup recipe. And let's get to the cocktail recipe, which is the nightmare on Bourbon Street. Ooh. Yes. It says, with fall comes Halloween. And I love all the <clears throat> cocktails that folks have come up with. This one is one of the more tasty ones that's easy to whip up. Ingredients are cinnamon sugar for the rim, if you so choose, one and a half ounces of bourbon, one ounce of fresh lemon juice, a quarter cup of apple cider, one to two teaspoons of real maple syrup, more or less to taste, one teaspoon of fresh grated ginger, or a half teaspoon of ground ginger, uh, sorry, quarter teaspoon, half, yeah, pro- half will probably just blow your head off. Ooh, I see. <laughs> One eighth teaspoon of ground cinnamon, five ounces of sparkling hard apple cider. And if you want to go crazy, you can do cinnamon sticks, rosemary, and apple slices. And the uh, way to, to put all of those ingredients together to make a, a nightmare on Bourbon Street cocktail, of course, will be in the show notes. File, oh, file gumbo. That's what that was. That's what that little uh, ascent mark was supposed to be. So, <laughs> I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I am not Cajun. I don't, I don't know those words. So, <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop talking for a minute. I'm going to let you, because I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts on the Highland Park 12. So, so give the story of why you have Highland Park 12 and then tell me what you think of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't have a scotch in my, in my liquor cabinet. And uh, I was talking with uh, Russ uh, a few weeks ago and I was like, ah, you know, I should probably just get one just to have one. You know, I've kind of tasted them in the past, but it hasn't been, yeah, it's been a minute since I've actually had one. And I don't think I've ever actually owned a bottle here at the house. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm just going to get one. So I asked you for a suggestion of like, so like, what's like, just like the staple, like what should I have if I'm just going to get one? And you recommend the Highland Park 12, which I, I, you know, went to the liquor store and sure enough, it was there and hey, it even had to be on sale. So (laughs) I got a, got a good deal on it. So I I bought the, uh, bought the bottle and uh, I have tried it once um probably a week or two ago i had a little bit and uh i have some right now to uh to end the evening with and uh yeah i, I have to say I, I do like it take a little sip here it's very smooth uh the you know it's definitely got that that smokiness but it's not too overpowering for smoke you can kind of taste everything else going on in there it's got a little bit of spice and everything else and uh yeah i i agree it's definitely uh it's definitely a, a keeper it's not one that i will have often but uh, I think every once in a while to to pull a, a little little glass of uh, of scotch here, I think uh, I don't think you can go wrong with this. This is uh, this is an excellent excellent choice. So I'm sure it's I don't know what your rating of it is, but it's, it's probably pretty high because I mean you can't really can't really complain about it that much. It, it really is a is a nice tasting scotch, and it's definitely a good representative of the scotch family i think i reviewed highland park 12 a long long time ago i haven't i haven't had any on hand in quite a while i i my feeling is that would be sort of in the upper 80 range um and i i could probably go back and find it and you know figure out what i reviewed it as but um yeah it's it's one of those ones where i i would probably have it again at some point but there's just like so much stuff that i want to try that i haven't gone back to things i i used to have so that's why i don't have it now but i really enjoyed the hell out of it when i had it so um it it is it is from orkney so it is you know 
on the smokier side, um, you said you said you didn't mind a little smoke, so I want I didn't want to give you something that was like super super smoky. But I mean, <laughs> I could have given you something else like a Highland or a Space that has no smoke in it at all. But you know, what good is that? Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> you gave it an eighty nine. So yeah, you're right, eighty nine. Yeah. So I, I I mean, like I said, I haven't done Highland Park twelve in a in a real long time, but I, I can only assume it's just as good as it used to be. So yeah, very good. Uh, May May first, twenty twenty. Okay, so that's that's way more recent than I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three forty two was the episode. So yeah, not that too too awful long ago. I I must have been polishing off that bottle because <laughs> that that must have been the end of it. <laughs> I bought that way before twenty twenty. So. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, very good. So now I'll get into mine, which is Ardbeg Ugadal. And Ugadal has a really, really weird spelling. <laughs> but if you if you go into the liquor store and you're looking for an Isla Scotch, uh Ugadal should be on the shelf. Um a lot of people pass it over because it's not cheap, um, but it's worth the money. I don't say that a lot about scotches that cost over a hundred dollars a bottle much. Um <clears throat> This one is one of the exceptions. So their description of it from the Ardbeg Distillery is, Ugadal is Gaelic for a dark, mysterious place. Named after the distillery's water source, this whiskey is a marriage of sweetness, spice, and deep smokiness. The peat-laden waters of Loch Ugadal provide the smoky tones in this whiskey, while maturation in ex-bourbon and ex-sherry cask imparts, imparts rich, warm flavors, perfect for a dramatic, stormy night. But the true secret behind Ardbeg Ugadal's success is a unique vatting method that marries the deep smoky notes from ex-bourbon American oak casks with the luscious raisin-like character of ex-sherry Oloroso casks. Uh, Ugadal does not have an age statement, so they're, they're not saying how old the stuff is in here. Um, Ardbeg does that fairly frequently. They have quite a few different releases that are non-age statement. Uh, Ardbeg is definitely one of the smokier whiskeys, uh, but I love those. So if that's your kind of, you know, thing, then you definitely, and you want to spend more than $100 a bottle for it, then uh, Ugadal is something you should have. So the mash bill on it is 100% malted barley, of course, because it's a single malt scotch. The proof on it is 108.4 or 54.2%. It's uh, Isla, of course. Uh, they called it deep gold, I think was the color. I said medium caramel. That would suggest it's at least 10 years old, just based on color alone. But, of course, they don't say. So that's only a guess. So the nose on it is interesting because a lot of Isla Scotches have this thing where they where they have a, because of that peat, they have um, a Band-Aid or an iodine quality. This has, like, all of the other things, all of the meaty, salty, and stuff like that without the iodine part, which is what's great about it for me. So the nose on it is campfire smoke, walnut, pine needles, lemon zest, chocolate-covered raisins, vanilla-frosted white cake. And that is a very specific note, and it's very specifically in there. Um, among all the other stuff, it's amazing that you can taste that, but it's there. <laughs> or smell that, rather. <laughs> but it's absolutely there. Uh, also, toffee and hints of leather. So on the taste, and because Bill tasted his Highland Park, I'm going to have another taste of mine. This is actually my second pour, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you got to do all the work, right? Got to take one for the team, or two, or maybe three. Oh, yeah, this is so good. So on the taste, you have a vanilla sweetness, baking spices, they call them winter spices. You know, if you think of if you things like uh, think of things like allspice and mace and um, cinnamon, nutmeg, that kind of stuff, it's like all of that. 
sort of mixed together. Uh, very specifically, a salty honey glazed ham. It's like you take a honey glazed ham, you bake it, you slice it up, you uh, you sprinkle a little bit of extra salt on it, and it's that. Hickory smoke, coffee, aged leather, and cigar leaf. Lots of stuff in here. Very complex and very nice. And, you know, as I've said before, it may sound like none of these flavors actually go together, but when it's done right, they absolutely do. And then on the finish, you get a light smoke, an aromatic wood, honey, molasses, hints of roasted coffee beans, and raisin. I mean, I tell you what, this bottle is really, really good. Now, again, if you're not into smoky scotches, then you probably want to stay away from this one. But if that's something that you can tolerate or you're really into, Oogadol is, I mean, it's its up there. I want to give this bottle a 96. Wow. Yes, it's expensive. The place I bought it from, it was $105, so it probably ranges from 100, and, 100 or so to maybe 120 depending on taxes and whatnot. So it is not necessarily for the faint of heart. You got to want to buy it. But if you do, and this is the kind of you know flavor profiles you're into, you will not be disappointed. Absolutely. Hardbeg, Oogadal. Nice. And that's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> Except we have uh, some announcements. Well, an announcement <laughs> that we need show topics, um, of course, because we're really, really running low on show topics. Like I said, I believe I do have a couple of suggestions that have been sent in that I'm going to add to the list, but we could probably use 20 or 30 more. Um, so if you know there is something you want to hear us talk about, please go ahead and send in your suggestions. We'd love to hear them. Any of the social media networks is a way to do it. Email, of course, you know, however you want to. You can text me, whatever. <laughs> I was thinking about this while we were talking about the uh, topic for tonight, and I've been wanting to start to use the AF0SS call sign to start uh, like a pre-show net, because uh, a lot of shows do that, and it would be kind of interesting to hear from folks on the air. Uh, so I was wondering if we were going to do that, if people would let me know what they thought a good time was, like, is pre-show a good time? I mean, our show varies, so that would mean that the net would vary if the show varied. Or do we want to specifically have a set time, you know, to do a net? Uh, just a quick check-in slash, you know, chat net, maybe a AMA type thing um, or something like that. I would, I would love to put something like that together. So if you have any suggestions about when a good time for that would be that you would want to participate, we would love to hear it. That's it. You got anything? Ah, no, 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 no announcement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. In that case, uh, you can do the subscribers and stuff. Yeah. So this week we have uh, no new yeah, subscribers or supporters, but that's okay. We still have plenty in there that are supporting us every episode. Uh, Facebook, we have Danilo Nasca. We have the Kamala QRP Minimalism. Uh, Chuck Chivers and J. Charles Reed. Over on X, we have at R1234556, or is that 5 or S? That's S. 5S678, something like that. On Instagram, we didn't have anybody. On Mastodon, we have at TS Matana uh, and at GM5AUG. Uh, no new mailing list subscribers. And on Discord, we have one user, Mr. Mister Art. H A M I Y S T E R A I T C H. So, yeah. Um, joining us on the live chat here in Discord, we had Tony K4XSS, Don KB2YSI, Steve KJ5T, and Ted WA0EIR. 
All right. Well, thank you for going down through that list. And thank you to everybody who joined us live or who listens to the show afterwards. We really appreciate you being a part of Linux in the Ham Shack and listening to us. And if you would try and get the word out to folks, you know, use your club, use your social media connections, whatever it is. Word of mouth is how we advertise. And you always help us out bringing us new listeners. And of course, paid support is always good. That helps us keep the lights on. And helps us keep doing this week after week. We appreciate each and every one of you. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. This has been the 108th episode of The Weekender. Episode number 518 of Linux in the Handshack. And for the hopefully not on assignment much longer, Cheryl W5MOO, I'm Ross K5TUX. And I'm Bill NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.